The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. So if you're in the wilderness, the better you understand or recognize the landmarks, the easier it is to find your way. If the wilderness is just a big, vague buzz of phenomena, then there's no distinguishing of the path or the way to go at all. Uh, Many years ago, uh, I had an occasion to be on a little tributary of the Amazon, and it was um, kind of deep in the jungle, and I was on a little boat in this river, and uh, I decided to take a walk straight into the jungle. And, um, And I didn't go very far before I realized that there were no landmarks. Uh, that all the trees and everything that was there looked all exactly the same to me. To me, very little variation, or not that I could recognize. And I could, and there was no. The canopy was such that you couldn't really see the sun, the direction which the sun, the sun was at. And I understood very quickly that if I went further, I'd get lost very fast. I wouldn't know the way back. <clears throat> so I was still kind of within sight of the river. I went back. So to have landmarks to recognize and find your way is really useful. And so uh, one of the landmarks that we have as meditators that is sometimes recognized, and if you don't recognize this one, then you won't find your way. And one of those landmarks is to recognize that you're thinking. If you don't know that you're lost in thought, you know, you'll wander in the wilderness for a long time. But if you can, you recognize, oh, this is thinking. I'm involved in a thought train or caught up in thought. That's a phenomenally important thing to be aware of. So you just be able to see that. Oh, this is a thought. To be able to distinguish between thoughts is useful. To see something as a distracting thought, meaning something you're lost in, versus a thought which maybe is pointedly about the practice itself and supports you, helps you to stay present, uh, then, you know, that's an important distinction to make. And so um, to, to realize that there are almost like different levels of thinking and to recognize what level you're using uh, helps you to, uh, you know, find your way. So discursive thinking which is having a conversation in your head with yourself or someone else and having lots of commentary about something, um, lots of opinions, story-making, um, that, you know, discursive thinking, that has uh, really no value or rarely any value for meditation practice. And, um, and so that's one, one kind of level. Another level is a very simple statements you make to yourself Maybe you don't even think of it. Think of it as thinking about, oh, you know, um, my back hurts today. I wonder if I adjust my sitting a little bit. I'd feel, you know, it'd work better. If you don't have that thought, 
you might see it and injure your back by the end of the day. And so it's a useful thought to question, you know, can I, can I adjust? Or, uh, or there could be that, um, um, you know, there's a, a feeling of, um, maybe a feeling of irritation that's coming up. And she said, that's interesting. That's a kind of a subtle feeling, but I've noticed that subtle irritations, some, and for me, tend to build unless they're attended to. So, well, there's a subtle irritation. I think I should bring my attention to it. Where do I feel it? Oh, I feel it, you know, in my face or in my heart or something. So these are very simple thoughts that we have that have to do about the practice itself. And they kind of help us direct the attention, asks very simple questions, what should I do? Maybe I should try this. And within a certain kind of simplicity of effort or simplicity, those can be very helpful. If it's done incessantly and kind of neurotically, uh, only about the meditation, what should I do? Should I go here or there? You know, that can just tie us in knots and make, you know, not, not help settle the mind. But a little bit, there's, there are thoughts that help settle, that help realize, you know, I'm not, I, shouldn't, I don't need to be thinking about that anymore. And I think I've thought about that long enough. And so let's, you know, stay here for the body and whatever, my, whatever you need. And then there's even simpler thoughts of um, recognition. You know, maybe it's a one-word kind of thoughts. And here, you, some people don't even think of these as thoughts at all. But they do involve some cognitive process because it is a recognition. There's a, the humming of the fan and the heater in the outer hall. So, so humming. There is um, tightening in my knee. There is uh, the contact, feeling of contact in my fingers against each other. Just, I would just say contact or touch. There is um, warmth. And, and there's, no, there's no sentence, no making meaning of it. There's no associating to me, myself and mine, my purpose. It's just a very simple cognitive recognition of what is. So there's, there, you know, we can probably differentiate more kind of a degrees of intensity or levels of thinking. But the point being that there are different kinds of thoughts. And so we don't want to have a one policy fits all thoughts. Like all thoughts are bad and you shouldn't think. It's more, more useful is, as I'm thinking, is this supporting me to become quieter, stiller, more present, clearer? Is it supporting me to become free? Or is it supporting me to be, continue to be entangled? To reinforce that habit of just, you know, going down these thought trains and getting lost there. And so it's a very simple kind of, again, evaluation, which is kind of a cognitive process, um, is very important for this meditation process, uh, finding our way. Uh, if you just sit there and think that just being aware is all you have to do, you're probably not going to get very far in the meditation practice. There needs to be some discernment, some recognition. What do I do? What do I not do here? And that can be, uh, sometimes it can be kind of a little bit a natural process. They don't even think of it as thinking. Um, I, I, it took me a while. I do some of this right, when I was a new med- meditation student. Uh, it was so kind of subtle kind of thing in the back of my mind that I didn't even know I was doing it. And uh, it was, you know, just kind of like, you know, it's like being in the 
on a car and driving down the freeway, you're not thinking about the very subtle adjustments you're making on the steering wheel. You know, okay, I think I'm running into the, you know, I'm beginning, I look, if I continue like this, I think I'm going to cross the double yellow line into oncoming traffic. I think if I make a one and a half inch turn, I think that's what I need to do. No, maybe it's a one and a quarter. No, I'm not sure. But maybe let's try the one and a quarter. Yes, that's it. I mean, you know, <laughs> we don't do that. <laughs> it's, you know, you, you, know, you, you, don't, you probably you don't even recognizing all these little adjustments you're making. So with meditation, there can also be that. Very subtle quiet. But it, it only really works if you have some sense that, uh, of the kind of the goal. And I think one of the most valuable goals, most useful, is the goal of not being caught up in something, not being attached, not being preoccupied. So what is it that, what direction, what attention, what do we do that supports us from not being entangled, attached to what's going on? And so as we're moving along in meditation, being with our breath, a lot of what we encounter one way or the other is how we get attached, of how we get caught, how we get preoccupied, how we, you know. And so, you know, in a sense, meditation could be seen from a certain perspective, as um, one continuous experience of bad news. <laughs> it's just all bad news. <laughs> In the sense that, you know, you're oh, not there. But you could say that about driving too, right? You know, you drive, I mean, you're driving down the freeway, it, you know, you're getting continuously bad news. Oh, I'm heading a little bit too far to the left, a little bit too far to the right. Most people don't get depressed by the continuously getting it wrong on the freeway, right? I mean, how many adjustments do you make on that steering wheel? You're always getting it a little bit wrong, or you, you, your adjustment just doesn't quite work very long. So the, so the mind as well, in meditation, you know, how do we get, you know, oh, here's where I went off, here's where I went a little bit too far to the left. Look at that, I'm a little bit making too much effort here. I'm straining to get something or to experience something. Straining doesn't work. Let's relax a little bit. And now, and now I'm just too complacent. I'm just like, it's comfortable and easy and it's just so nice here. And, and, um, and now I'm a kind of attachment or kind of caught in um, the comfort of it all. And so, well, that doesn't work very well. There's no clarity and freedom and comfort. And so let's come back and let's be a little bit sharper and more diligent here and be present. So there's kind of knowing the landmarks, seeing what goes on, allows us to make these very simple adjustments. Uh, and then part of the art is learning, the, getting the feedback system in the adjustments themselves so we don't you know, get pre, you know, neurotic about adjusting all the time. The adjusting itself needs to be, you know, help us to be free or peaceful or still or something. But these are all very simple kinds of thinking that go on. So to be able to recognize these landmarks and as we go along, and then we can negotiate the way much easier. So a big part of mindfulness is beginning to recognize what's actually happening moment by moment in experience. That's kind of the, the medium of which we're operating here. And so the clear recognition of what's happening. And then as a theme for today, um, we can also recognize uh, not only 
the things that are happening, but we can recognize uh, the kind of awareness we're using. Awareness has many forms. And so what kind of awareness is a, are, are we applying right now? And some of times awareness is applied in ways which are not useful. There can be um, straining awareness. I've, I've been aware sometimes of my, my awareness gets contracted and tight. Uh, you know, I've kind of sat, sat down to meditate and I had a strong sense of purpose and I'm going to do this, I'm going to get concentrated. And, and I can feel, as I pay attention to it, the contraction and the narrowing and the strain that comes into that. And sometimes I haven't noticed that very quickly or quick enough. And so sometimes a strain or a tension builds up and only as a tension builds up do I look, oh, look at that gill. You're getting a little bit, you're, you're straining, you're pushing in that awareness. You're trying to attain something and, and the awareness is being directed or being pushed in a certain direction. And, um, and so, you know, I can see that kind of awareness is not so useful. Um, I've also had awareness be very vague, just kind of kind of here. <laughs> I'm kind of just, it's comfortable, it's nice, and kind of aware that I'm present. But um, I can, I've gone sometimes long periods of time where afterwards, if you ask me, what were you aware of that sitting? Well, <laughs> I'm not, well, you know, I kind of was here, but what was I aware of? I'm not so sure. Um, and what I lacked was I was kind of a kind of an automatic pilot. I was kind of not really, you know, focused or attentive and being clear. I was kind of I don't I don't think I was drifting in thought, but I was kind of in a, a little bit of a stupor, a little bit in a vague fog, or very much in a fog. And I kind of thought I was meditating. Maybe I was in a certain def- definitions of it, but uh, it lacked the clarity. I, you know that. Uh, and so uh, there are ways of paying attention which are not useful. And so people who meditate over the months and years of meditation are going to start learning about that. Well, that doesn't work to do that. And we get wiser and wiser about how, what's going on. And part of that is just, you know, exploring the territory, being there and noticing and seeing what goes on and what works and what doesn't work. And, um, and so over time we kind of learn more and more of the landscape. So part of the landscapes I'm saying is how we're aware, and there's a variety of, of useful ways of engaging our attention, having our attention operate. And uh, some of them, uh, in the language of today, is are active, and some of them are more receptive. Uh, some of them use a little bit of an act of directing the mind, and some of them, the mind is not directed at all. It's just kind of there and receptive to what comes. There's many kinds of awareness that we can have. And, um, and some of them uh, are easily accessible. Some, peop- some of them are not. Uh, one of the things to notice about how we're aware is uh, whether there's tension in the effort to be aware, the effort to be mindful or attentive. Um, is there some kind of, uh, does it feel like there's extra effort? Are we pushing? Are we expecting something? Are we uh, afraid? And so the, the attention is driven by fear, like to protect ourselves from something. The, um, um, so, um, the, um, 
in the, this discourse on the Four Foundations of Mindfulness, it's almost set up where the Buddha talks about the more active kinds of awarenesses you can do that are leading up to something that's a little bit that's more, more receptive or more passive or not so directed. So in the beginning, it talks about very specific things to be aware of. And one knows these things. One knows as one uh, uh, stands, one is standing. One knows as one's walking, one's walking. One knows as one's sitting, one knows one's sitting. Uh, when, when sitting, one knows one's sitting. When lying down, one knows one's lying down. That's very specific. You, you, in, the, in the posture your body is in, you have a clear knowing that oh, this is what I'm doing. In some sense, your whole psychophysical system knows it fairly well, whether you're standing, sitting, and walking, and laying down. It's kind of pretty automatic to know that. <coughs> uh, but to know it with clarity, to know it so that the mind is not drifting off somewhere else, but the thinking conscious mind is there in the activity we're doing. And know it. So there's, there's some precision there. This is where the mind is. This is what's going on. And... Um, one of the things I learned when I was a Zen student was to place my attention, have my attention go, if I was working, uh, to whatever part of my body was most actively involved in the work. And often that was the hands in, you know, kind of Zen physical work in the monastery. So I spent a lot of time in my hands, you know, just kind of being there with whatever I was doing with my hands. And and, uh, that was the big movement. That's what I was focusing on. That's what I was trying to do something was with my hands. And so I was kind of knowing, uh, directing, and being attentive to what was happening with my hands. And, and there were times I didn't want to pay attention to do the work, and my mind would drift off. And I would say, this is, you know, I have a knife in my hand. <laughs> this is not the time to drift off. This is not the ha- time to have choiceless awareness. Whatever, you know. But you <laughs> this is the time to be precise you know, and be right there, otherwise I'll not, I won't have a finger. And um, so to, you know, be, be, you know, so, you know, I had to bring my mind back and I had to direct it and to know what was going on. So directed attention, um, the effort to be there was, you know, was one way of paying attention that was useful. Um, When I, uh, there's a, you know, an interesting kind of form of attention to, um, to study how we pay attention is to um, memorize something and then um, notice how your mind engages in memorizing something. What gets activated? What's active, alive, where the energy is in the mind? Kind of study that. And, um, you, know, and you know, that's a common skill. There are times when we have to memorize something. Um, that, you know, someone tells us a phone number and there's no, you know, thing to write it on. And so we kind of, okay, let's, you know, let's memorize it. Or you want to memorize a poem or a piece of text. And so you repeat it and you pay attention to how you remember things. It turns out that uh, what the sati, this mindfulness, the word is cognate or is related to the word for remember in Pali. And... Uh, and what I found uh, when I was in Burma, practicing the Vipassana there, uh, we had to keep a journal uh, for our meditation practice. I don't know if journal is the right word. We had to kind of uh, field notes. Journal, I think of, you know, you're, you're writing what you think about it all or something. But we had to keep field notes. So at the end of each sitting, 
we were supposed to have have this notebook and write down what specifically happened, how we noticed it, how we were noted it, and what happened to it. So if, for example, um, uh, I felt pain in my knee, I was supposed to say, right, there was pain in my knee, I noted it as pain in my knee, and when I did that, then I noticed that it was uh, feeling sensations of burning and tearing. As I noticed burning and tearing, I noticed that uh, it wasn't solid, but it kind of kind of uh, uh, flitted in and out of uh, existence there, these different sensations. And as I kept my attention there, it dissipated, and after a while it went away. As opposed to going to the teacher and say, oh, teacher, I had all this knee pain, and it was really bad, and I was so discouraged, and I didn't know what to do, and I thought about my parents, how they didn't raise me properly. <laughs> And uh, you know, and you know, they didn't give me the right shoes growing up, and I kind of now my knees are a mess. And and um, if if I'd done this ladder with my teacher, he would have immediately dismissed me. <laughs> because what we had to, what we were learning to do, was to stay with a simple experience that was happening right now, independent of the story and the history of it and the self pity around it. So that was valuable in itself because I had to work through a lot of the self-pity stuff and, you know, let it, you know, learn to not get caught up in it. But also, um, what I learned was that, um, um, for me, is that um, um, when I, to be mindful of the details of what was happening, in order to be able to remember it later to write this field notes down, I had to have a kind of heightened attention and um, and that heightened attention, I didn't realize it at the time, but that heightened attention was phenomenally supportive and helpful for my meditation practice. I think it gave it the extra oomph for power that really got me going in the practice. But if I, you know, on my own, on my own, being mindful, maybe I was a little bit lazy, or I didn't know how sharp and you know full the mind could be engaged, and so I was kind of just kind of like there. Oh yeah, my knee hurts, and I'll pay attention to it. It's like that. Yeah, you know. Oh, okay. Um, but then now I had to be very specific and you know and clear. And um, the, you know I was there meditating for eight months, so I was doing a lot of meditation. And so there was a period of time where I was meditating three hours at a time, three times a day. You know, just like we sit and. and um, but that was a long period of time to have to write those journals, <laughs> and a long period of time to kind of have to remember it all. So um, I could hear better then. So I had a little uh, watch that um, uh, you could set an alarm to go off every half an hour. And I was sitting alone in my room, so that wasn't bothering anyone. So I would, uh, the, it would beep every 30 minutes. And when I heard the beep, I would kind of ra- rise my, lift myself out of the concentrated state and then review the last half hour. And then when I finished reviewing it, I would drop down in again and continue to go with the practice. And that way, uh, you know, by the end, I, then I could, you know, more remember, accurately remember. So what I, again, I'm repeating myself. So what I learned from this is that um, there's kind of a simple kind of mindfulness of what goes on. And there's a different quality of mindfulness that can be used, that's, that's useful when there's kind of, 
little bit more engagement as if you're going to have to remember that experience. If we get too wrapped up in remembering and that whole thing, then we wrap our, probably tie ourselves in knots and get too busy. So the art of it is to just do enough. So I, you know, I learned to, it was just a little bit more clarity, a little bit more specificity right there that was required in order to remember it. So in that sense, that the word sati and satsarati uh, are uh, these two in Pali, that mindfulness and remembering are very closely connected because I think that they both require a certain kind of heightened attention, attentiveness. That's a little bit sharper, a little bit more engaged or clear. It's like, you know, it's, or like, it's like, for me, you know, I sometimes go around with dirty glasses and then I clean them and say, wow, now I see. <laughs> and um, so it's a little bit like, you, you know, you clean your glasses and it's that kind of clarity. Well, okay, now I'm really seeing and allowing the experience to have impact or having experience really be registered. So it's not just recognizing, but having the experience recognized so well it registers, ah, this is what it is. So, uh, so there's, a, there's a knowing, there's clear comprehension, there's, and then uh, as we know, and a lot of the Satipatthana Sutta emphasizes knowing, a lot of the things the Buddha directs the attention to it says, "Pajanati," uh, to know, know this, know what's going on. But the 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 direction it's going is to this anapasati, which is to observe. And I think that the idea to observe is to see clearly, but uh, not to be so actively involved, to to kind of be able to step back, or to not have to make a lot of effort anymore to stay present. Uh, as the momentum of mindfulness builds, as the practice grows and there's concentration, at some point we kind of uh, end up, it's easier to be in the present moment than it is to wander off in thought. Earlier in meditation, it's a lot easier to wander off in thought than it is to be present. But that uh, proportion uh, changes with time. And after a while, it becomes easier and easier. It's kind of like you're resting or established in the present moment. And um, I've had the experience with, uh, of uh, being in the present moment pretty well and the mind beginning wandering off. And uh, it felt like, uh, I felt like, it felt like, or, or may, that uh, there was a rubber band attached to my thoughts. And as it, it, my thoughts started wandering off, that rubber band gets you know, stretched, right? And then at some point, it would bring the thought right back in. And it wasn't something I was doing. It wasn't like I had to try to come back. The, 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 uh, it, that's where the mind wanted to be, was in the present moment, just here. And when that happens, then it's the, not a lot of effort needs to be done to be aware. And, and there, it's more of uh, the effort to, not, to get out of the way of awareness. It's more, mostly just letting go so you can be aware. And, um, you know, and these, some, some, some just thoughts and distractions might come in. And then, okay, just let go. Come back to being aware and observe what's here. You don't have to make any more effort to be aware. You just have to make the effort to not mess it up, not drift off, and come back and be here and be present for this. And then we observe and just see what's there. We see what goes on. And part of the importance of observing 
uh, is that um, uh, as the mind is concentrated and still and present for the experience, then uh, it can kind of be akin to the experience of watching a river go by or, or a stream. If you've ever been to watch the river, it, uh, you're just kind of sitting and relaxing and watching the river go by. And, um, and you're just observing and watching it. You're not focusing on anything. You're not like, you know, maybe, maybe kind of m- making a lot of effort to track something in the river. You're just kind of watching the flow or watching a fire, you know, go. And it, somehow the movement of the fire, the movement of the river, for some people it can be very relaxing and mesmerizing or engrossing just to stay there with it. Um, and, um, and I think part of the reason it is because um, if we're inv- involved in this nice movement and flow, uh, we get absorbed in that. We're not, we're not absorbed in our neurosis, not absorbed in our self-centered kind of thoughts and concerns and me, myself, and mine, what's going to happen tomorrow at work. It's just like we're just here with the flow. And so the observing that we're looking for or that the Satipatthana is coming, moving towards is uh, the way it's worded there is to observe the, in, the rising and passing of phenomena. The rising and passing of, as things flow by, but to observe in such a way that it's a little bit like watching the river, kind of, kind of unselfconscious, absorbed in the experience, not interested in what's happening at work tomorrow and me, myself, and mine, where the self kind of begins to get out of the picture self-concern. It's almost like you disappear in the just simple observing. The things flow and coming and going and rising and passing. And, um, and, uh, and, and, uh, and that brings us to starting to have some what's kind of dharmic wisdom. And the tradition sometimes uh, puts the word panya, wisdom, um, some, I like to call it insight, as another form of attention, like a, a form of awareness itself, as opposed to wisdom being a set of knowledges that you're going to read in a book and now you're wise uh, because you know something. It's not so much knowing something as it is a, a way in which you know, a way of knowing with insight to, to see something deep about the experience. And one of the forms of insights that we had is to be able to see where you get cling, where you cling, where you're holding on, what you're uh, attached to, uh, and as I said earlier, you know this uh, this seeing where we're caught, where we're attached to, is kind of like the, you know, the regular thing that we're finding either directly or indirectly, and uh, we're working through that and letting go of that and coming into greater uh, peace or stillness or unattachment or not being caught up less suffering. And, uh, and to have wisdom, oh, there's the attachment, there's the clinging. As we become more skilled and more capable to noticing it in deep meditation, we become more skilled noticing in everyday life as well. As we notice how we're caught in everyday life, then um, there's a different form of attention uh, and that is called uh, yoniso manisikara. And uh, usually it's translated into English as wise attention. But this word yoniso, yoni, uh, uh, means womb. 
And so I kind of think of it as um, the uh, Yoniso Manasikara. Manasikara means attention. Um, it's the attention that, that's the womb for something really good to be born. And so there's a certain kind of attention that's productive for the Dharma, for the path of practice unfolding, for liberation. And so why is attention? So the more we understand attachment, the more we understand how we get caught, then even in everyday life, then we can see uh, if I can't let go of it, we, or maybe, maybe you shouldn't let go of it, but you know, it depends. You have, to have, you have some wisdom about what's useful here. What should I do here? And one of the things you can ask yourself is, what form of attention is useful given this form of attachment, given that I'm preoccupied with this thing? Is this a time where I should be really precise and go in there and really know in detail what's going on? That's, that sometimes is the right answer. Or is this a time that I should really kind of just create a spacious, open awareness and not make too much effort to even look at the attachment, but just kind of create a very wide accepting field of awareness that can hold what's going on in a spacious, relaxed way? Or should I just observe what's happening here? Let's not try to study it. Let's not try to know anything but let's just kind of see how it shows itself to me. And I'm going to to sit back here in my metaphoric easy chair and just kind of watch what's going on here. I don't know what this attachment's about. I don't know where it's going. I don't know anything. But I'm going to just settle back and invite it for tea and just kind of be and just observe and not get my too actively engaged in this and trying to fix it or do something or, or you know. Um, so, um, and then there's one more form of awareness. So anyway, so what I'm trying to say, to repeat myself, is um, there's yoni so mani sikara, there's a kind of engagement kind of thinking that helps us find our path. What's wise? What's productive? What's supportive for me? What's helpful here? What's health producing here in, in my practice? And then if you know some of the different choices of practice, how to use attention, then you can apply it. One of the, one of the things you can do I didn't talk about because it's not quite, I don't think of it in the same category as, as a form of attention, but a very important practice that goes hand in hand with that is concentration. It is maybe a way of using attention, so maybe it should be in the same same you know category. But uh, sometimes getting uh, getting concentrated is a really useful thing. Okay, I'm going to get concentrated here, and um, you know it doesn't help. It doesn't work for me to look at my attachments, to look at my tensions and problems, to hold it with awareness, to observe it. That doesn't work so well right now, given what I'm what I'm dealing with. What might work? is I first should get concentrated. I first need to get really calm and settled, and then I can look at the attachment in a different way. But I'm just too frazzled right now. I think I need to get focused and concentrated. So then we do these things, whatever we need our practice is, and whatever we feel is useful. And then at some point, 
we have the panya, the insight, or the wisdom arises that comes from direct insight, direct seeing. And uh, it's a phenomenal thing to have wisdom or insight uh, be revealed. It's not something you have to figure out for yourself. It's anything you have to make happen or read more books to get it. It's really that uh, the, the wisdom lives within us and arises and shows itself to us. And that's, you know, and that's really helpful in terms of um, learning that uh, you, can, uh, you don't have to rely so excessively on your own efforts, your own me, myself, and mine. It's all up to me to make this work. It starts feeling like there's something else besides me, myself, and mine which is operating here and supporting this whole scene. And then it, it can be more feeling, let's get out of the way of this, me, myself, and mine. And allow the awareness to be there, the wisdom to surface and be there, and operate and help guide the way. So I'm very aware in giving these talks today that um, it can seem like busy work. It can seem like this is a lot of things to do now and a lot of things to sort through and what did Gil say and he should have written the list and I should have that list in my, my shirt pocket and pull it out and figure out what kind of awareness should I do here and you know, it's, and uh, that's absolutely not what I'm trying to convey and try to make you more busy. But what I am trying to say is that as you do this practice in its own time, in their own way, hopefully you'll begin recognizing the landscape and recognizing the different parts and different ways that you can be aware. And it, over time, it'll become second nature to you. Uh, and it isn't actually that, that much you have to memorize or learn about yourself and to compare to what, you know, now, so those of you who hear this for the first talk, um, I'm, I asked my wife to teach me about the plants in the local mountains here. And uh, there's a lot of plants. I mean, you know, one one of the preserves of here, there's a book that has a list of 400 of those plants. And I, I'm going to learn 400 plants. <laughs> I think I'll just go back and meditate. <laughs> there, there, there's less to learn. <laughs> so, so, so you'll learn it. You'll find your way. And some of this will be natural. You don't have to even try to do it. You don't even need my talk if you keep doing this over time. But I'm hoping that in giving this talk, it'll just uh, heighten your attention a little bit to start noticing that you have some choice about how you use attention. And in a gentle way, in a loving way, in a, in a you know, relaxed way maybe, um, you can maybe begin experimenting and seeing if there's different ways of being attentive that are useful in different settings. Sometimes settle back and observe, sometimes no, sometimes clear comprehension, clear, maybe, maybe you can have clear recognition. I recognize what's happening, but can there be clear recognition? And what I mean by clear recognition, the recognition is so clear that you can feel that you are actually independent of what it is you recognized. So I can have physical pain when I'm meditating. I can recognize it, but boy, am I entangled in it. I'm identified with it. I'm concerned with it. I'm kind of like upset with it or afraid of it or all kinds of things go on. Even though I can say I'm recognizing, I'm doing the practice, but I am really, but I, if I keep, but to clearly recognize it, 
there's discomfort. But there's a way of doing it, and then, oh, there's freedom. The discomfort hasn't gone away, but there's freedom in the mind, freedom in the knowing. That's pretty cool. So what, what, kind of, what kind of recognition has a quality of freedom, has a quality of peace? What kind of recognition has the kind of sharpness and strong registra- registering of it that it more likely kind of keeps you in the present moment in a full way? Anyway, I'm talking more than I said I would. I'm cognizant of that. <laughs> So, um, so, so you know. So, hopefully, this these talks offered you something that um, you can kind of pay attention to a bit in a way that's supportive of you. And if it's not supportive, then the Yonisomi Sikara, this wise attention, says if that's supportive, you don't need to do it. So. So, well, thank you very much for being here, especially those of you who are here all day. I, um, I, uh, you know, sometimes I think these intensive we do from six in the morning to nine in the evening, uh, we should do at least once a month. You know, this is like, we should really, this is so useful, so important in terms of getting established, getting in the flow of practice. I mean, the idea of being in the, pr- in the practice for a whole day um, is uh, really an important way of learning what it is, settling into it, getting a fuller vis- visceral experience of it. And as I said this morning also, that, um, uh, you know, more than 40 years ago now, um, I would do these day-long retreats at San Francisco Zen Center, just like this, um, more or less. I guess I think we started at five, so <laughs> so we we could think of that. <laughs> and uh, but I have visceral embodied memories of sitting the whole day and different times of the day into the evening that are still in me, live in me as memories, kind of physical memories. I can feel in my body sometimes. And they support me in my practice. They guide me, they're inspiration for me, and they're still here for me in an important way. That I think is more the case when we do it like the whole day this way than if we do it, you know, just like 9 to 4.30 like we do sometimes. So I really appreciate that you're here and really appreciate you've been part of this and that we could share it. And I hope it's been nice for you. And I hope that now you can go home and uh, go to bed and be very content. (laughs) Contentedly, sleep contentedly and happily. The day well spent. Thank you.